Today's episode is sponsored by Liquid IV. I work out every week, so it's important to stay hydrated. Plus, on top of working out, I've got a three-year-old whose favorite after-meal activity is to run laps, like the little psychopath that she is. Clearly, I need all the hydration I can get. That's why I like to use Liquid IV for my workouts and just for my daily drinking. Liquid IV hydrates you with benefits like electrolytes, essential vitamins, and clinically tested nutrients. With three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. And I mean, yeah, vitamins and electrolytes are nice and all, but what about taste? They've got white peach, green grape, raspberry melon, and my favorite, lemon lime. Tastes great to me. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and use code R slash at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code R slash at liquidiv.com. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being a guy has a lot of upsides. Like we get to pee standing up and we get all these giant muscles. But there's also some downsides to being a guy, like going bald early and the fact that it's hard to find spaces to talk about our issues. Most guys don't really talk about what's bothering them. They just talk about their hobbies, like video games or sports. I know my friend group is guilty of that. All we ever talk about is gaming, basically. That's why I'm an advocate of BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you can find a therapist suited to your needs and your schedule to talk about whatever is bothering you in life. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash r slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash r slash. Welcome to r slash pro revenge, where OP makes a scumbag lose over $140,000 per year. Our next Reddit post is from Deleted. I'm a purchasing manager for the city I work in. I've been doing this job for 11 years. We have contracts with various vendors, but I want to talk about the company that does all of our dirt, gravel, and limestone work. When I started, we had a contract with this company. I spoke with the owner quite often, and he was a pleasant guy. It was a family-owned business that only had four employees, but they were always ready to help the city when we needed. Every year, the owner would drop by and sign the contract before the new year began. Well, the owner ends up passing away, and his son takes over the business. His son had worked for the company right out of high school, but ended up going to work somewhere else. He came back to take ownership when his dad died. I never met the guy, I didn't know him, but my wife went to high school with him. On his Facebook page, he has pictures of his huge home, four vehicles, three boats. Who the hell needs three boats? And every ATV and toy imaginable. Just out of curiosity, I checked all the invoices from prior years and saw that we paid this company anywhere from $80K to $200,000 per year. In the time that I was there, I figured that he must have had an average income of $140,000 per year. So we were in the middle of our contract when the owner died. I had some property that I wanted to put some mobile homes on, so I would need some dirt hauled to my property. I decided to use the same company the city uses. My wife called the new owner and set everything up for Monday for him to haul the dirt and form up the dirt into a pad. It would cost about $3,000. The mobile home was going to be delivered the next day. So I'm at my property waiting for the guy to show up, but he never does. My wife calls him and he says that he can't do the job. He's too busy. 
I find out where the guy is through connections at my job and I show up at the site. I didn't tell him that I worked for the city, but I did introduce myself as the guy with the dirt job and I asked what was going on. He just said that he had a bigger job to do and he wouldn't be able to get to it. I tell him that I have a mobile home being delivered the next day and I needed that work done and he said, You know, what you would have paid me wouldn't make a dent in my pocketbook. I just looked at him and said, Alright, and left. So I ended up having to call a whole bunch of different places and eventually found a guy that could do the job for me. While him and I are talking, I mentioned that I work for the city and he asked if he could potentially become a vendor. I get his information and tell him I'll be in touch. I start doing research at work and I come to find out that we're supposed to be holding a bid for that kind of work due to the dollar amount. We just never did because no one else was interested in doing the work. In December of that year, the new owner calls me up and asks when he can come by to sign the new contract. I inform him that, due to regulations, we have to do a bid process. He seems kind of nervous, but I tell him that it's just a process we have to go through now, and he shouldn't worry because I doubt anyone else would bid. He seemed more at ease by this and asked how the bid process went. I told him that I would send him the information and he would need to fill out the bid sheet and come by and drop it off in a sealed envelope by a certain date. I call the other guy who helped me out and I tell him about the bid process. I also told him about the company we currently deal with and the prices they're currently charging us. To be clear, this is public information, so I didn't do anything wrong. And I let the guy know he would have to bid under that amount. The day before the bidding, the new owner of that company comes by and asks for the purchasing manager. Me. He doesn't know my name, but he knows my face. I come in the lobby, and his mouth instantly drops. I extend my hand and say, hi, and that I am, in fact, the guy he needed to see. He asks if there are any other bids, and I tell him that we didn't have any others come in yet, which was a lie since I had the other guy's bid. No other bids come in, so it's just the two of them, but the other guy who helped me out ended up winning the bid. I call the new owner to tell him that we had another bid come in last minute before the deadline, and they charged less, so we were going to go with them. He was pissed. He was stuttering and stammering, telling me that I'm going to be taking food off his kid's plate, etc. I told him there was nothing I could do. He went to the public works office and they told him the same thing. He's lost that bid process every single year. He no longer posts pictures of his toys on Facebook and I believe he downsized his home as well. Down in the comments, we have a similar story from Cesar Raptor. The county library where I work uses a delivery service to move books between our branches. And we have a delivery company whose contract didn't get renewed because they got underbid. Almost as soon as they learned that they lost the contract, service we were getting from them went downhill. Basically, they pulled the experienced driver who had been doing our route forever and threw a random assortment of effing new guys on the route with little or no training. Deliveries were late, books were dropped in the wrong place, they went to the wrong library, and so on. Just a pain in the butt all around. Complaints went up the chain of command to the purchasing manager, who responded, I got this. And a few days later, the experienced driver was back on the job and everything was fine again. When the purchasing manager got back to us, he said, I just explained that we expect the same level of service from our vendors throughout their entire contracts. And failure to act in good faith by the vendor can negatively impact their ability to get contracts from any county department. For context, our library represents less than 5% of the total county budget and contracting expenditures. Don't mess with purchasing managers. Our next Reddit post is from Max Queller. 
This happened when I was a junior in high school and 17 years old at the time. I was taking a regular English class, and I genuinely liked my teacher, Mrs. P. Anyway, Mrs. P was pregnant at the time, and she was due to go on maternity leave about a quarter of the way through the semester. When she left, the class met her substitute, Mrs. M. She seemed nice at first, saying that she loved teaching, and she wouldn't change how the class operated from Mrs. P. The first sign that something was fishy was when all of a sudden she stopped accepting late work, something that Mrs. P was always generous with. Mrs. M gave no warning, and people's homework grades suddenly began to drop. She began to give us ridiculous reading tests that nobody could do well on. Keep in mind, I was a straight-A student, but in her class, I was getting C's and D's. Anyways, the semester continues, and Mrs. M keeps on making the class suffer here and there, and my class grades were down from A to C. The final straw came in December when we were about to take our final no-red ink test. No Red Ink is a website that has a lot of grammar tests. On that website, there was always homework that didn't count for a grade, but rather allowed us to retake the unit test if we did poorly. Now, usually when I did these tests, I would get like 29 out of 30 points, but this time, I got a zero! I wasn't the only one. Only a handful of students did the homework, and the ones who didn't do the homework received zeros. Obviously, everyone was pissed off because we received no warning for this sudden change in policy. After a barrage of questions, we could tell that Mrs. M was about to break. After my friend asked why she was doing this, Mrs. M snapped and started raging. She called us all eggs who were ready to break the moment that something didn't go our way. She also said that adults looked down on us in the real world and that we weren't prepared for real life because we were all pampered little brats. Unfortunately for Mrs. M, I was recording her little rampage the entire time for evidence. After she was done with her fit of rage, she realized her mistake and she apologized to my friend, who rejected her apology. Good for him for standing up like that. I then posted the video, unlisted, to YouTube so my friend could see. The next day, I was in physics, sitting in the hall because I was absent for a test the previous day, and the class was going over it, so I had to sit outside. A crying Mrs. M shows up as I'm outside, asks me when I'm free, and I say that I'm not free because I have to make up the physics test that day. So, basically, she found out the person who posted the video was me. I accidentally showed my face in the video, and someone ratted me out. I was threatened with a lawsuit, and that people would hate me for what I'd done. Naturally, I removed the video and went straight to my counselor, told him what happened, and he directed me to the student services director, claiming that he couldn't deal with the issue. The student services director called the principal and told me to tell my story to the dean. I showed them the video and told them how Mrs. M threatened me with a lawsuit. They were shocked! My next class was actually going to be English, so I was supposed to go to that class, but they told me not to because it would have been very awkward. The next day, we had a new substitute, and Mrs. M was never seen again at our school. My fellow classmates congratulated me and thanked me for getting her fired because our new sub was polite and understanding. She allowed us to turn in all of our late work, and I finished with an A- in the class. Mrs. P returned the next semester and apologized profusely for the damage the substitute did to her class. Our next Reddit post is from Deleted. I'm a college student, and I desperately needed to find a sublease for this past spring and summer. So I ended up finding one at a pretty nice apartment complex in my city. This guy Bob seemed cool, and we had mutual friends. Everything went great. However, Bob wanted to do my sublease under the table, without the office getting involved. Okay, no worries. I've done this before. I have three other male roommates, so we split rent four ways. 
I have a two-year hound mix. She's a great dog, but she gets terrible anxiety during thunderstorms. One day, I'm at work, and we have probably the biggest thunderstorm we've had this year. She flips out and tears up the edges of the carpet to my room. My dad knows a guy who came and did an estimate of the damages. He told me it would cost between 200 and 400 bucks to re-carpet the room. Cool, no problem. I can afford that. Bob sees the damages, and I tell him that I'll cover all the damages caused by my dog. Anyway, I move out in July. A month passes. At this point, I'm on vacation with my family. Then, this douchebag Bob decides to call my mom and dad repeatedly. Then, his mom calls my parents too. I have no idea how he even got my parents' numbers in the first place. They tell my parents that the apartment complex is charging them $4,000 to carpet a 10 by 10 foot room and that I have until the end of September to pay or they'll take me to court. My dad is pissed because he knows the damages shouldn't cost that much. He contacts the leasing offices and asks them for a breakdown of the damages. According to them, the carpet damage in my room only cost 273 bucks. All the other damages were damages caused by Bob and the other two roommates. So we contact Bob, and he's saying that the other three roommates were supporting his claim that my dog had caused all the damages in the house. Firstly, can someone please explain to me how it's my dog's fault that they caused a bottle of wine to explode on the ceiling of the kitchen? Or how my dog managed to destroy the dishwasher? Or one of the guy's bathtubs? My mom calls her lawyer. My parents, the lawyer, and me have a little powwow. I never signed any document making me an official resident of that apartment. Therefore, I wasn't liable for any damages whatsoever. However, because I'm not a butthole, I'm still willing to pay for the carpet damage. We contact Bob, and he refuses my offer of the $273. His mom says that she wants me to pay for everything, but no, I'm not going to. Because I am petty though, I contacted the leasing office. I gave them all the documentation of me living there. And now, the office is not only charging Bob and the other roommates the $4,000, but they're also suing for breach of contract because he had an illegal tenant. Should have just taken the $273, dude. Yo, what I'm wondering is, how do you even do $4,000 worth of damage to an apartment unless you're intentionally messing it up? Were your roommates just walking around with sledgehammers and chainsaws just bashing everything they see because they feel like it? Our next Reddit post is from Only Slightly Evil. I decided to move from Texas to the Midwest in April to be closer to my father, who had prostate cancer. The previous October, I came up to visit and go apartment hunting, and I found a complex that I liked at a decent location. They wouldn't let me reserve an apartment six months in advance, so I had to wait four months before filling out an application, providing proof of income, etc. Also, choosing an apartment from 1,100 miles away, sight unseen, is no easy task. Lots of phone calls, lots of faxing, and lots of trying to decipher floor plans. But I decided on a two-bed, two-bath, 1,100-square-foot unit for $900, which seemed like an unusually good price. So April finally arrives, and I arrive at the leasing office with my U-Haul packed to the brim. I go in to get my keys, and among other things, the woman explains the washer-dryer situation to me. She says there's a laundry room on every floor, each with two washers and dryers. 
The machines don't take coins, they take tokens, which are wafer-thin, shield-shaped plastic tokens. Each wash and dry cycle costs one token, and tokens cost one dollar each. They were only sold in packs of ten, and they had to be purchased from the leasing office during business hours, and the only payment accepted was check. What if I don't want ten? And who wastes time with checks? It was all very inconvenient, so I bought a pack on the spot. I get to my apartment and take the tokens out of the envelope to examine them. Embossed on the back of the tokens is the manufacturer. I research the manufacturer and find a distributor. I call the distributor to inquire about prices and availability. A box of 1,000 tokens cost 68 bucks, and they were in stock. Awesome! So I ordered a box and had it sent to my parents' house in case the management office became suspicious. So now, instead of $1 per wash and $1 per dry, each was now costing me 6 cents. I had enough to last me years. Perfect. Fast forward to August. There are letters on everyone's door notifying residents that the building is going condo and the tenants had first dibs on purchasing their units. Or the units would be sold and we'd be at the mercy of the new owners. What the actual F? I'm gonna be honest with you, at this point, I wasn't even fully unpacked yet. I never would have gone to the trouble of arranging for housing from across the country at this complex if I'd known that I'd have to either purchase the apartment or risk my rent going way, way up. And that's why the rent was so low in the first place. They were trying to get as many occupants as they could, hoping that we'd just buy our units, or the new owner of the unit would already have vetted tenants making it attractive for prospective buyers. I was just pissed about having to move again. So later that night, I put signs on everyone's door. Moving sale. Laundry tokens, 50 cents each. Get them while you can. My phone started ringing at 7 a.m. I made over $300 that day. I immediately ordered a few more boxes. Then I put signs up in every building on the property the following week. My phone started blowing up even earlier that time. I moved out at the end of my lease, but the orders kept coming in. I divvy up each new box of tokens into little zip baggies. 10, 20, 25, 50, and 100 count increments. My customers' phone numbers were stored in my phone by building address and unit number. When they called, something like, building number 4100, unit 215 would show up on my caller ID. They'd tell me how many they needed, and I'd deliver to their door. I was like a drug dealer. I made several deliveries a week for a year. But then the machines were switched to coin-operated ones, and now people were calling for refunds. The management office was refunding residents full price for their unused tokens. So I instructed my customers to discard the little baggie they came in, take them back to the office, and they'd be given a full dollar for each one, netting them a profit of 50 cents each. In the end, I made about $3,000, which means I bilked the complex out of $6,000. I have no idea if the sharp decline in token sales was the impetus behind the switch. So, OP, would you say this is money laundering? That was our slash pro revenge. And if you like this content, be sure to follow my podcast because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.